And I think it sold at Walmart or whatever, Sam's or something. So, I bet for about 20 bucks or whatever. But if you have not watched that video as a Christian, it's very good teaching information. And it's called The Exorcist, based on a true story of a young lady that was raised up in a good Christian Catholic family, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. It's very good. Very, uh, uh, if you're not a really strong Christian, it's very scary. You know, very scary. Of course, they try to scare you, you know, by the some of the things they do. But I'm past that point. But I will have to say there was times in there when I was seeing what was going on, I was tense. I was never afraid. But I, I have lived what they showed with some particular people that I've dealt with. For real, I've lived those experiences myself. And so I felt, whoa, wow. They need to be using the name of Jesus. You know, they need to be using the word. And finally they did. But uh, it was uh, whenever in a court of law, after this girl dies, and uh, a defense attorney asks the priest, were you afraid? Did it scare you when this happened? And he said, it scared the H out of me. You know, so, well, that automatically tells me he was not properly trained. Because when he went in there, you don't go in there afraid of demons. If you go in there afraid of a demon, then that demon will look you right in the eye just like he did him through that little girl with that twisted face he put on her and said, I charge you priest if you can just try to cast me out try that demon knew that he was scaring the wits out of that priest he knew that priest didn't really know who he was but let me tell you that's the average church member today that's the average preacher today i mean the average preacher that i know today I mean, even I don't care if it's a big church or a little church, they have never encountered a demon in an individual. They never seen it. They would never clue what to do with it. If one of them were to manifest in one of their churches, I guarantee they'd fall apart and immediately stop the service and call nine one one. Guarantee it. Yep. They they would call nine one one, wouldn't they, Cliff? Yes, they would. Sure, they would. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But after you've experienced, I mean, the first time I had a demon manifest and I saw it scared me too. I don't mind telling you. It really did. When you see a demon take control of a human being. And of course, my first experience was an older man. You know, and I was probably, I don't know how old I was, 35 or 40 or something like that. I don't know what it was. But uh, I was much younger than I am today. And when I saw my first demon manifest... It was on a Sunday afternoon when Jesus had spoke to me three times that service. And during that service, sitting there in a Baptist church, listening to a Baptist preacher teach the Word of God, three times that day, he told me to go see John Doe. Three times. I mean, a little bit later, he said, now, son, right after the service is over today, I want you to go see John Doe. And I'm sitting there listening to this, thinking, Lord, he ain't going to be at home, you know, arguing with God. And then a little later, he said, now, son, right after the service is over today, I want you to go see John Doe. Okay, I thought to myself, he ain't going to be at home on Sunday afternoon. The guy's out somewhere. But I went down there. When I got down there and knocked on that door, he was there. Because God knew he was going to be there. He wouldn't have told me to win if he hadn't known where he was at. 
And of course, that day when I went in and sat down and began to talk to him about Jesus, I'll never forget that day I was sitting in a chair looking this way, and he was in a chair over there on that wall looking this way. And when I began to, I said, Lord, when I got there, I thought, I told him, I said, I have come to talk to you about Jesus. Now, this was a lost man. I mean, he was one of the roughest guys I'd seen. I mean, he wouldn't think nothing about somebody walking. Even me, he knew I was a, a kid that went to church. I could walk and say, how are you doing? And he could say, G-D-S-O-B, you kid, how are you doing? You know, that's the way he talked. You know, it didn't make no difference. Who was there? You could have been three or four women over here. He didn't make any, any difference. He was just a old, rough, tough, lost guy. You know, and so when God told me to go talk to him, and then I did when I went up there, and I, he said, what are you doing here, Thurman, on Sunday afternoon? And I said, well, I'm passing through town, and I just thought I'd come by and talk to you about Jesus. And he looked at me, and he says, I've known you a long time. I've watched you run around this town as a kid. It's you, you never drink, you never smoke, you never raise hell with the rest of the kids like everybody else did. Said, ain't a preacher in this town come to this door and say they won't talk about you. I'd let him in his house. But he said, I'll let you in. He said, come on in. I thought, what a privilege. Do you think people ain't watching your life? They're watching your life. I had no idea he'd been watching me all the time. And so I never did get off in those things that the rest of the boys did. And I, I, I'm grateful because that man got saved out of that experience. But when I went in that house and sat down with that man, I thought, Lord, now what do I do? You know, instead of saying, okay, God, you're in total control. What do we do now? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I'm scared. You know, and so I said, y'all understand where I'm coming from? I mean, I'm brand new at this then, you know, so... I don't have a clue what's going on. I don't know anything about the spirit world. So I opened my Bible and it falls open to John chapter 1. I thought, hey, that's a good place to read. John's good stuff. So I started reading in John. And I read a chapter. And then I kind of, you know, looked up and looked over at him. And I saw my first demon in a human being. I didn't know that's what it was. All I knew when I come in, he looked like just a normal old guy. But now then... His face is all drawn. I mean, his mouth is wide open. His teeth are clenched together like this. And his face is contorted and drawn. His eyes are that big around and they're just as green as they can be. They are at least twice the size I ever seen a human being's eyes. And they're big and they're not black or they're not brown. They're green. Solid green. I had never seen anything like this in my life. Now, I'm telling you, I'm like that Catholic priest. That scared the whatever out of me. Yay. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Cleo? I mean, today, I didn't know what I was. I had no idea that the Lord Jesus Christ had whipped that devil. I had no idea that he gave me all power over that beast. And I didn't have a thing in the world to worry about. I didn't have, I didn't, you know, I mean, I was scared. But I just kept reading. And of course, after another chapter, he got a little better. And after another and a little better and a little better. And by the time I got to chapter 4, he appeared to be normal again. And then I asked him, you know, before I got ready to leave, if he'd like to invite Jesus into his heart. And he said, well, not today. But he said, you've certainly given me some things to think about. 
Well, in the next few weeks, I didn't know it, but he did do that. He made Jesus Lord of his life, and then he told a Baptist woman and her husband there in the little town I was in, and then a few weeks later, he was sitting on a stool in a service station about 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, getting ready to go out and take care of his livestock, and he had a massive heart attack, and his heart exploded in his chest, and he fell off that stool stone dead at about 64, 65 years of age. Somebody called me and told me he died. I thought, good grief, I was just over at his house just a few months ago and talked to him about Jesus. So I went back down there and took off some time, went back down there to his funeral. And that's when that lady told me, said he'd come over to our house and said, you come over and talk to him about Jesus. And she told me what she did. And I thought, oh God, thank you, Lord, for letting me be the one to bring that man to the knowledge of the kingdom. And today I'm completely convinced that man's in the kingdom of God because I obeyed the voice of the king that day, that Sunday afternoon, and went to his house and did what he said. Change that man's eternity forever. Best investment on a Sunday afternoon I ever made. Change a human being's life forever. We can't put a price tag on those things, can we? You may think, well, I'm too busy. Well, is what you're going to do today worth somebody losing their eternal salvation? No, not at all. Are we in such a hurry doing things on this earth that we can't take time to minister to people? What's the most important thing on this earth? People or things? Yeah, people are. The things are all going to burn up. Like Cheryl and I talk often. I said, honey, I'm going to try to do the best I can on this and that and everything. But, you know, it's going to burn up anyway someday. We're just going to use it temporarily. You know, we're going to be here for a few years. We want our house to be nice and clean and comfortable. But it don't have to be a big mansion. In fact, I'd rather not have a mansion. I drive along and look at some of these mansions they're building out there, out toward where we live. Uh, some of those things, I was driving down the street, down the 407 today, just before I got 35. There's one on the left there. <clears throat> wow, it must be 5,000 square feet. You know, huge. I, I'd hate to pay the taxes on that thing. You know, because the, whoever owns it ain't never going to get through paying for it. You know, the taxes are going to be there, you know. I mean, we, I went over and looked at a house. A friend of mine here a while back, him and his wife, said, we know you're an engineer. We'd love for you to go over, and we'd like to come by and pick you up and take you over here. We're looking at a new house. And I said, okay. He said, we want you just to look at it structurally and see what you think about it. And I said, okay. So I went over there with them. And, of course, when we drove into this development, I thought, whoo, boy, what a development. Y'all are going to live over here? Well, yeah, we'd kind of like to. So we walked in and I asked the guy, I said, I said, have y'all asked the guy what the taxes are on this place? He said, no. So I walked in and I looked around a little bit and I said, what's the taxes going to be on this house? Oh, he said, they're very minimum. I said, what, what is minimum? He said, well, right now, it, they would probably be about seventeen five. That's taxes. That's 17, that wasn't $17.50, Cliff. That wasn't $1,750 either. That was $17,500 a year for taxes on this house. How would you like to buy a house that the taxes cost seventeen five? I mean, do you realize that's way over $1,000 a month just taxes? Hey, 
You can live in something like that if you want to. I can use that money for something else more beneficial than paying the government taxes for a place to live. You know, so maybe if you got $10 million in the bank, that's okay. If that's the way you want to spend it, no problem. But me, that's not the way I want to spend mine. But anyway, back to this video. Like I say, I think we need all the training we can get today as a church. I think we need to know and understand the demonic world. Because until you understand what's going on spiritually, and I am completely convinced that so few of the church members today have any idea in the spirit world what's going on. In fact, we were talking a while ago about how many Catholic priests they are. And there is tens of thousands of these guys, but there is less than 1,000 of those Catholic priests, less than 1,000 of them worldwide that's qualified by the church to be involved in an exorcism. Out of tens of thousands of those men. Well, I'm going to tell you, I don't know how many thousands of Baptist preachers there are, but I never met one that was qualified to be involved in an, you know. Yeah, I never met one that even knew who the devil was. You know, you start talking about demons in a Baptist church, and, and wait a minute, now, Thurman, you know, let's don't talk about that. You know, we might like make the devil somebody. mad, you know, and he might attack us or something. So please don't talk about the devil in our church. Hey. I mean, you gotta, I mean, you gotta know a little about these things, don't you, Cliff? Yes, you do. You better. You better, because if they come to you, when you see this video, I thought when this devil, when this demon was possessing this little girl, this teenage girl, 18, 19 years old, 17, whatever she was. I think she must have been 18 or 19 when this thing come into her. When this thing come upon her, you know, all she had to do was know who she was. And say, in the name of Jesus, no! That's all she had to do. But she didn't know. I think about one night, I listened to Pat Robertson. How many of y'all know who Pat Robertson is? You know, the 700 Club? How many of you think he probably is a fairly well-trained spiritual man of God? I think so. Very highly qualified. I heard Pat say one night he was staying in a hotel somewhere. And he told where it was. And he said he had a busy day and said he woke up in the middle of the night and he was strangling and he couldn't swallow. And he said he tried to swallow, he tried to cough, he tried to do everything. He could just barely utter some sounds. He said it's like something had him around the neck choking him. And all of a sudden, he said, I realized, of course, what it was, was the Holy Spirit, because he's tuned into the Spirit. The Spirit revealed to him that was a demon that was trying to kill him. And out of his mouth, as little as he could get it out, you demon, leave me in Jesus' name. And bam, the thing was gone, just like that. And he was instantly set free. Now, what if he'd have been a traditional Christian that didn't have a clue what was happening? He'd have died. That's right. That devil would have come upon him and killed him. You know, that's just like I've told this story many a time. And if if you've been with me for very many years, you should be trained on who the devil is. But let me explain something to you. If you've been trained about who the devil is and you wake up one morning and you smell this foul odor and you turn over in bed and you look and there stands this black cloaked figure standing there and he's smirking at you and saying, Rosemary, I'm going to kill you today. Yeah. And so 
if you know who you are, you say, yes, smile and say, oh, no, you're not. Now, you don't have no claim over me. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Get out. And I said, but you know, that's not the way the devil comes to us. He doesn't come like that. He very rarely ever comes in a form that's visible that you can see. Because he's a spirit. And he's invisible. And he lives in the invisible realm. And this is the way he comes to you. You wake up one morning and you have a very serious throat problem. You can hardly swallow. And so, most people, instead of saying, Lord, have I sinned? Did I do something wrong? If I did, I repent. Now then, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus, get out. You can't stay here no more. I'm not allowing you to do this. Or a thought comes to your mind. Something that's evil. Whether it be lying to someone, doing something harmful to someone... Stealing from someone, running around on your mate, the devil can put all those thoughts in your mind. And you're laying there meditating on those thoughts. Hmm? You know? And the more you meditate on that, the more you open the door to that devil. That's him. But most people are not trained enough to learn that when these symptoms begin to come upon you, or these thoughts that does not line up with the Word of God, this is the devil that's at your house this morning. He's putting these thoughts in your mind, trying to get you to yield to stealing, killing, and destroying, because that's his world. Oh, Deborah, the, the lady that you talked to yesterday, wasn't she the most wicked thing you ever saw? My goodness, who does she think she was? You ought to just call her this morning and tell her who, what you think about her. You mean you mean this this stuff has really happened to you, huh, girl? How many how many people in here? How many people in here that's had something like this happen to you that the devil attacked you with? Hey, I, there's probably not a single one of us can say that we haven't had that kind of thing. And sometimes we yield to it, don't we? We sit there and meditate it on it for a little while. And the longer you meditate on it, the closer he draws you and said, Atta girl, just go get her. Yeah, just go get her. I mean, he's, you're, now you're after it, girl. And by the middle of the afternoon, you say, man, you just call her and just give her the riot act. You see where I'm coming from, right? Yeah, that's right, Cliff. That's what he's doing. Sick him. See, that's the way the devil comes to us. Instead of capturing that thought when you wake up in the morning and that devil says, Oh, you know that old guy or that old woman or who it was that you talked to yesterday said all them things to you and just go get her or him, whatever. You ought to say, Oh, devil, it's just you. Oh, Jesus told me to love her or to love him. So I think I'll just call her this morning and tell her how much I enjoyed talking with her yesterday. He said, No, that's not what I wanted you to do. Now, see, that's the way the devil will get through to you. And it's very difficult for us, or we wake up one morning, and this happens to so many people. And ever since I talked to that guy that was the engineer and went into cardiology because he was so intrigued with the heart, and what he had found out, he said, over the years, he has now realized that every time a person, lost or saved, it makes no difference. 
come into his doctor's office and they've got pains in their chest, if they have confessed, Doc, I just know I'm having a heart attack. I just know I'm having a heart attack. I've got these serious pains in my chest and I just know I must be having a heart attack. He said, without fail, every one of those people, when I checked them, were in the process of a full-blown heart attack. But he said, when somebody comes in and says, I've got these serious chest pains. And I said, well, you think you're having a heart attack. Oh, no, 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 no. I know i got a good heart. Ain't nothing wrong with my heart. It's something else in there, but I sure got these pains in my chest. He said, not one single one of them had any stages of a heart attack. But everyone that confessed they did had it. Now, guess what? Who was putting that pain on them people? The devil. An invisible being was in there squeezing your heart, making you feel this pain, trying to get you to confess what he wants you to confess. And once you confess it, then it happens. You're in agreement with the devil. And right then, once you're in agreement... Now, of course, let me tell you. Whenever the devil comes to you and starts putting some kind of serious pain on you, when it's your flesh, it's very difficult to stand against that beast when it's your flesh. Especially when your flesh is hurting. But I made a decision a long time ago. I'm going to trust God. I mean, after what I've learned... And what I've seen God do, I'm trusting Him. I don't care how He hits me. I don't care what He does to me. I'm standing on the Word of God. And if the God I serve is not big enough to bring me through it, then there ain't no doctor in the world can heal me. If I trust Jesus totally by faith, there is no use in me going to a doctor and laying there for a week or two or a month and let them put all that stuff in my body. I'm going to trust the living God. Now, you make your own decision, but I made mine. Yes, Deborah. Oh wait just a second. Let me let me give you a mic so everybody can everybody can hear this. Not that important. Oh. But the other day I had a telemarketer call me and was trying to sell me health insurance and I told her I didn't need it and she goes, Oh well, you know, and they always have all those can comebacks. Mm-hmm. I said, Honey, I believe in, in Jesus. He's my savior and he's my healer and I don't need yours. All of a sudden there's this total silence and she went, Oh, you know, and she's, thank you. No comeback and just hug. <laughs> I mean, but she was just like, like, what? Well, the thing about it is, people that say they're Christians, as a rule, just like I'll have to say in this video I watched, the defense attorney said, I am a man of faith. And I thought to myself, <laughs> You don't have a clue what the word means. But you know, most people in a church today, if you ask them, do you have faith? All of them will say yes. I would have. But back in those days, I didn't know what faith meant either. But that's the way the devil will come to you. He will come to you with thoughts in your mind, or he will come to you with pain in your body. And I think about that elderly lady a few years ago. Now, you know, she was really old. She was in her late to mid-late 60s. You know, I mean, but you know, you know, whenever you're in your mid to late 60s, you know, when you're 45 or 50, Gloria, that's old. You know it? You know? Now, when you get there, you know, it's not very old. It's not very old, you know. So, praise God, you know, I mean, I, I think it's just, it's a matter, you know, I think about 
what some people say when they get 50. They, are, they know they're old. They confess they're old. And a lot of those people's lives are cut short, as we're going to see as we continue to study the Word of God tonight. But when, when you think about what happens to us whenever we confess the wrong things, and right then I just completely lost my train of thought. Where was I? You weren't, you weren't, yeah, you, I lost my complete train of thought where I was going right there somewhere. And all, oh, yeah, thinking about being older and all those things. Oh, yeah, okay, that's it. <laughs> hey, praise the Lord. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Yeah, the older syndrome, what it was, this lady was in her mid-60s, that's where I was going. And when I went to speak in this church... And, of course, here I was 15 or 20 years younger than she was, and I was going to be the interim pastor for a couple of Sundays for them. And I said, uh, good after, I mean, good morning, ma'am. She was helping set up the church. I said, how are you doing? And she said, well, I'm doing all right, but my arthritis is really hurting me. My arthritis is really hurting me today. I said, and she said, but I'm so old. I mean, that's the way we think. That's the way we think as people. Here she was about 67, 68, maybe 69 years old. You know, she was ancient. She was old. You know, I'm glad I'm only 17. You know, I mean, I am young. But anyway, I said, well, ma'am, do you know that arthritis that you're claiming that yours is really not yours? It come from the devil. Did you know Jesus paid the price for that 2,000 years ago? So you don't have to have it. And she looked at me, and this was a little Baptist church I'd been asked to speak at. And she says, where did you get that? I said, well, let me show you a few places in the Word. So I spent the next 15 or 20 minutes before church started teaching her the Word. And then I thought, you know, I'm going to teach on faith in this church today because I don't think these people know what faith is. So I spoke on faith that morning and faith that night before I left to drive back home. And one of the 80-year-old ladies that came up to me after the service. She said, Mr. Scrivener, I have been in church all of my life, and this is the only time in my life I've sat through two services that were over an hour each and heard somebody talk about what faith really is. She said, I had no idea. She said, I had no idea what it means to have faith. But the, I said, well, I'll be back next Sunday. They've asked me to speak for two Sundays, so I'll be back next Sunday, and we'll continue. Well, the next Sunday when I come back, that same little elderly 67 or 68-year-old woman was setting up chairs and doing things again, see? I said, well, praise God, young lady. I said, how are you doing today? She said, praise God, I'm doing great. I said, how's your arthritis? She said, I gave it back to the devil this week. I thought, praise the Lord. Got through to her, didn't we, Rosemary? She let the devil have back what belonged to him. See, now that's why he'll come to you. He'll come to you and start putting a little pain in your hand. All of a sudden, you know, right here, a little pain will come, sharp pain, especially you start getting a little older. Oh, what was that? Oh, I got a little pain. Oh, you got arthritis. <laughs> what do you mean I got arthritis? But, you know, most people say, oh, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Oh, that's what happened to my dad, you know. I mean, you know, he started having pains in his hands. And, and so, uh, we finally, it got so bad, we took him to the doctor and we kept saying, it's probably arthritis, Dad. You need to go have it checked. That's so we went to the doctor. It was all right. He had arthritis. And now he's really got it bad. Now, but see, now we know. 
Yeah, but see, what we do is we don't understand this beast that comes upon us because Jesus bore our sickness and removed our disease on the cross. So we don't have to have these things. And when I got a hold of that, yes, sir. When I got a hold of that, I stopped letting the devil do these things to me. Yes, sir. I've been coming here about seven months and, and you prayed for me and uh, I was, I'm a born Catholic. So I went on a retreat about one month after you prayed. And uh, we went to, to confession, and I was talking to the Catholic priest about, you know, what's wrong with about being healed. And he got angry with me. And he said, uh, you're supposed to suffer, and uh, set, a, set a good example, and God will heal you when you're in, when you're in heaven. So, so that, I guess that, was, that wasn't really, you know, a godly person talking to me, because he was saying, I, we need to suffer. Well, let me tell you something. Let me tell you. If Let's put it this way. If I am the body of Christ on this earth, and you're a believer in Jesus, you're a cell also in this body. Do you want your body to hurt, Cliff? No. Oh, gee, you were very quick to make that announcement. And that's honest, too. And that's honest, too. And, and Deborah sitting right behind you. She don't want hers to hurt either. So, do you think Jesus wanted our bodies to hurt? If He said, I bore your sickness and removed your disease, and by my stripes you are healed, if we're already healed, all we got to do is walk in obedience to His Word for that to become a, a reality. Now, He said, now don't go sin, because if you sin, you step outside of me and you step back in the devil's world. He said, now that's where sickness and disease is over there. You've got to dwell in me over here on this side. You can't go over here and play out here in the fire. Now, if you're over here running around in this nice, cool stream, and your feet are so cool, and you're playing in this cool water, and all the beautiful flowers, and all of a sudden there's an enemy over here saying, come over here. And you look over there, and you see he's standing in fire. But he says, come on, David. It's really not what it looks like. Just come on. But guess how many Christians go over there? Well, let me go over there. And he says, come running. And you come running over there and you walk about 15 steps out of that and you are burned and singed. You know, that's just like the first time I went to, uh, when I was flying as a pilot, I went up uh, to Bangor, Maine, and it was in August, the first or so week in August. And it was hot. I mean, up there, the humidity was high, and it was hot. Everybody said, let's go to the beach. So I said, okay. So we went to the beach. You know, I'm a Texas boy, and a few times I've been to the beach in Galveston in August. It's nice. I noticed virtually nobody's in the water. And those that are are just in their ankle deep. And I thought, well, gee, I'm going to go for a swim if I'm here. I got my swimsuit on. So I go charging out there like I know what I'm doing. And about the third step in, I'm about this deep, I realize I've made one huge bad mistake. But I'm going too fast. And I fall right in that water. And I bet you that water is 45 degrees. Just a little ways off the shore out there, there's still huge icebergs in the water. It may be 85 or 90 degrees on top of the sand. But let me tell you, in that water, it was miserably cold. And it didn't take me very long to get out of there, I'll tell you for sure. 
You know what that reminds me of? Us as Christians, when the devil draws us out. I mean, I was perfectly, beautifully comfortable sitting there on the beach in my swimsuit. 85, 90 degree day. Beautiful sun shining. Beautiful. Water. I mean, the air blowing off of that cold water. It, that even had a nice, cool breeze to it, you know. It was really wonderful. But when you run out there and you hit that water, it was nothing but terror. If we will dwell, the Word of God tells us as Christians, if we will dwell under the cover of the Almighty God, no sickness and no disease will come near us. And he says, I will protect you from the fowler. The devil will not be able to get underneath this covering where you're going to be covered under my feathers. I will not allow the devil in there. But you've got to dwell there. And dwelling there is walking holy in obedience to His Word. It don't mean going down and having the guys come by every Friday night and say, let's go down to the bar tonight and let's see if we can pick up a girl. You know, and, you know, let's have a few drinks. You know, or let's go down to some club and let's smoke a few joints. You know, and kill your brain a little bit. You know, but that's what so many people do today. They kill themselves, and the devil loves it. That's the way the devil comes to us. But see, what we've got to learn as children of God, we've got to learn, first of all, who we are. You know, first of all, I want you to know I'm not what you would call a legalist. But you know why I want to be legal? You know why I want to keep the law? Because under the law... God says, this is what I would like for you to do. But they couldn't keep it. But he give them all those commands they're supposed to do. But over here, he said, now then I give you grace and I fill you with the Holy Ghost. And by faith through grace, as long as you walk in grace, you walk above the law. And over here under grace, you will love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, if you love your neighbor as yourself in this, all of the law is fulfilled. So how many times are you going to lie to someone when you're walking in grace and love? None. How many times are you going to run around on your mate when you're walking? No. So you don't never break the law. So I don't want to break the law. I want to keep the law because I'm a child of God. And I know what made my king happy then under the law And so I want to walk in what He wants me to walk in. And then the promises are out of this world. The benefit package is out of this world. No sin. No sickness. No devils can touch you. He he saves you from the destruction. He renews your youth like the eagles. And then He says, if the devil does attack you and your family, you can come and you can... Pray for your spouse, and I will immediately hear an answer. And that's wonderful. When you're able to pray for one another, pray for your children or whatever, and it's wonderful for a mother or father when one of their children go out and do something that they're not supposed to, and they realize something comes upon them, the first thing they do is come home and say, Mama or Daddy, will you please pray for me? I messed up. Hey, that's wonderful, isn't it? And when you've got a mother or father walking in obedience to the Word, that's the example that we should set. But sin has a consequence. And 
people don't realize that sin has a consequence. And just like the little lady, Jan, you know, how many of you all heard her give her testimony Sunday when she said that, you know, I didn't realize that 15 years ago I committed a sin, which we didn't ask her what those were, but they could have been any number of things. But she said, right shortly after I committed those sins, from my arms, my elbows to my hands, I lost all the feeling for 15 years. Then when she came to a healing school and repented of her sins, and I gently rebuked the devil and prayed a prayer of faith for her, before she got to her seat, the feeling was back in her hands and arms. Do we love to see God do those kind of things for people? I'm telling you. And then you notice she said she fought her battle. Now she saw God do this. She thinks then everything this man said has got to be true. So I'm standing on these promises. And in the next year, everything in her body that she had problem with, everything went away. And today she's a healed woman. That's just like you. That's the, that's, and amen. And her husband's a preacher now. And he's fixing to have his own church. So he's got his own miracle in his own home, his own wife. So anytime you believe that God's not the healer, all you got to do, God's got to say, look here. Look at this woman I gave you and look what was wrong with her whenever I brought her to you and look what I did for her. Now you keep that as an example. But see, these devils of hell, we they're so sly that when we commit a little sin, you know, I mean, who would ever dream, you know, you get to talking or get to grumbling and a crick come in your neck. You know, or who knows what else. We've seen all kinds of wonderful things happen in here where people... You know, grumble or complain or whatever and different kinds of things come upon them and you never put it together that because of your grumbling or your gossiping about someone else is bringing something upon you. But it does. Now, if you want to stop that, just stop doing what you were doing, repent and start driving that devil away. Walk holy and obedience to God's word. And he clearly says there, of course, I know that's Gloria's favorite verse in, in Psalm 91. I mean, she's got that whole thing memorized, but she knows, just like we do, that God clearly says that if we walk in obedience to his word and make him the most high God our dwelling place, that he will protect us from the snare of the devil and that absolutely no sickness and no disease will come near our house. I like that, don't you? I, I like for somebody to call me. I've had them do the same thing. And I say, I don't have health insurance. But I got the best health insurance package in the world and it's free. And they say, wow, where did you get such a package like that? I say, are you a born again Christian? Like you say, silence for a minute. Some of them say, yes. So what's that got to do with it? I said, boy, have you been cheated? You haven't been studying your Bible, have you? You know, so, but that's what's wrong with us. We don't know what the Word of God says. So we're going to have to learn the Word and learn how to stand on these mighty promises of God's Word. Because when that devil comes to us, and he'll come to you, and he'll come to you so slyly, and he'll attack your throat, or he'll attack the muscle, he'll attack the heart, He'll attack the leg. He'll do all kinds of things. He'll put a rash on you. He'll try to do everything. And if he can't get you to know those places, he'll get you watching some kind of perverted television programs and get you to thinking, well, the, the wife I've got's not pretty enough anymore. She's not as pretty as that one on television. I mean, he's putting these thoughts in your mind. 
Uh, yeah, you need to get rid of her and trade her in for another one. A new model. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, how many guys do that? Far too many. And then when they trade that one in and they get another one, they find out, oh God, the one I had was far better than the one I got. What have I got into? That's just like a young man that used to work for me down in Houston. We got a new general manager down there one day, and he called me about a month. He said, Thurman, this general manager, I can't work for this guy. This is the hardest guy to deal with. He said, you got to transfer me out of here somewhere. I can't work for this guy. I said, look, he's not that bad. I've known this guy for several years. He said, Thurman, I can't work for this guy. I said, okay, where would you like to go? He said, well, I'd really like to go to Tampa because he said, you know, in that operation down there because my dad lives real close and I'd really like to go back close to home. My dad's getting older. I said, okay, I'll see what I can do about getting you to Tampa. So I pulled all kinds of strings trying to get him down there. Finally got it cleared to transfer him to Atlanta, to Tampa, Florida. Got him down there. A month later, he called me and said, Herman, I jumped out of the frying pan into the fire. He said, this guy's three times as mean as that other guy ever was. I said, just grin and bear it. You jumped into the fire? Tough. I said, I pulled all those strings to help you. Now then, you do the best you can. And he worked for me about another year down there. And he finally left the company. Went business for himself. But he was the problem. That's the way we sometimes think we have it. You know, the Lord, this, I mean, you all, you just think all the way back. It's never changed. I mean, just like Adam and Eve, you know, when they sin, just like the first two boys on the earth, the devil come to him and he said, Oh, Cain, look at what the Lord did for Abel. He accepted his offering, but yours is no good. And then Cain starts getting mad and he's listening and the Lord comes to him and says, Cain, evil's crouching at the door. It will have you if you let it. And he listened to the devil instead of God. And he let that devil come in. See, that devil's never changed. He's never changed. That's the way he does every one of us. He comes to us, tries his best to get us to fall to things that do not line up with the Word. And how are you going to stay in tune with God? You're going to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Because if you say you're saved and you're not walking in obedience to God's Word, there's one of two things. Either you're not saved and you need to get saved, or you've turned your back on God and now then He's doing His best to bring you back. And if you don't come back pretty soon, you're either going to take a path that's going to lead to sickness and disease and you're going to die prematurely so the soul may be saved or you're going to completely walk away from him. And when you do, you're going to die in your sin and you're going to die and go to hell. That's scary, isn't it? But that's what the Word says. So, this nonsense, once saved, always saved. Wow. If you think that's true, I guess you need to start listening to the teaching we started a few weeks ago. And last Sunday was the second Sunday on that By the time I get through with that teaching, and that's also, I've got probably 30 more pages, maybe 40 more pages of outline to do. I've got 33, I think it is, 33 or 38, I forget, already. 
And I'm going to teach that as a series in this church, and I'm also going to teach it on television. That's going to be my next three-month series, the title of it, Can You Lose Your Salvation? Yes, the Word of God says you can lose your salvation. So anyway, Father, in the name of Jesus, as we study, continue on in the process of your how to walk in your divine love and the benefits and the consequences of either doing it or not doing it, we want to thank you for the Word of God. Lord, if we could only, you could only get through to us by the Spirit that we are to walk in your God kind of divine love. If we could do that, there would be nothing that we couldn't do as the church. So help us, Lord, to walk in that divine love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you don't know who the devil is, you can't ever walk in that God's kind of divine love. You got to know who he is. If you know who he is, then you can kick him out. Like somebody said a while ago, when he pops up over here, I believe it's Deborah said, take that hammer and hit him, knock him back down. And as long as you keep him knocked down, you're okay. But if you let him come up one time, and you sit there and think about, well, instead of just immediately knocking him back down, if he gets up there and you get to thinking about it, he said, ah, oh, I got her this time. She got to think 10 seconds. So he said, next time I'll get her to think 30 seconds. And first thing you know, you stop knocking him back down. And that's when you're in big trouble. That's when he draws you off and gets you doing things that's totally against the Word of God. We're going to start out tonight in Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've already been to Bible study, don't you? We've had 45 minutes of already Bible study. Proverbs 10, 27. You know... When I was 20 years old, if I had have known what we talked about this last 45 minutes, it would have changed my life forever. If I'd have only known what we talked about so easily, which I know so well now, but when I was 20 years old, I had no clue because the church didn't teach me these things. It would have totally transformed my life. But praise God, I know them now. And Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs days. How can the fear of God prolong your days? How? Huh? Oh, you do what? Keep your guard up. When that devil comes up and says, Oh, you know, your company over here, they've, here's some things that, you know, it would be so easy for you to take a few dollars. Or they put you on the payroll here where you can write checks for them. And they have so much money. There's millions coming in. You know, I worked for a company that I I had access to. I spent millions of dollars. You know how easy it would be for me to have bought something for myself? Nobody would have ever known the difference but me and God and the devil. That's enough. That's enough, huh? You know, when you're, when you're buying new vehicles for everybody else, you know, for the company and for, the, and you're handling and you're buying sometimes 10 or 15 million dollars worth of vehicles at a time, it'd be easy to add you a new pickup in there. Nobody would ever know. But the devil knows and God knows. The company may not never know, but the ones that really count know. But that old devil will say, that's okay. There's so, I mean, you're, you earned it. Just go ahead. Nobody will ever know. But man, he will make you pay diligently for that. 
And so he'll get through to you. So, but if you have the fear of God, God, I know you're watching me and I know you're watching everything I do today. I know that whenever I walk out of this room when there's not a single person here and everybody's gone and Cheryl and I start down that hallway together going home tonight, I know you're walking beside her and I. You're going to know exactly what I'm saying to her. You're going to know the attitude of my heart toward her. You're going to know everything about me. So, Lord, I want you to know I do fear you. I want to walk in the God kind of love. And he says, well, good. I'm glad that you have decided that I am God. And you've decided to obey me. Gloria, I know this young man sitting beside you. You probably don't spank him now. Because he's almost as big as you are. But when he was a little tyke, seven or eight years old, he wasn't quite this big, was he? No, No, not quite. If he really did something wrong, could you, could mama sling a switch? Woo! She could. You still remember it too, don't you, son? Guarantee. Now, do you think she loved you through all of that? Of course. That's why she did what she did. If she hadn't loved you, she wouldn't have done that. But see, you know that now, don't you? You didn't know that then. But see, because of the fear of mama, when he was a little guy, he didn't do quite as many. Some things you wanted to do, didn't you? But you thought, woo, if I do that, I know what my mom is going to do to me. She's going to wear out my backside if she finds out. Is that right? Yes, yeah, I guarantee. You, I've been there too. I've done that too. So the fear of mama or the fear of daddy will keep you out of trouble lots of times. Well, when you realize that God goes with you everywhere you go, he knows every thought of your heart. You cannot get by God and the devil. So since God knows everything about you, when you even think about sinning, He knows your heart. So when you say, Lord, Lord, I'm with fear and trembling, Lord, I'm working out my own salvation here, Lord. I want you to know I fear you, Lord, I really do. I mean, you know, I know you love me, but Lord, I don't want to do anything wrong. Because I know that no curse can come upon me unless you speak it. So if I do something wrong and you speak the curse, I think about that little girl. I've told you all this story before, but I think about that little girl up there in Justin. That when she moved in with that boy at 15 years old, he was a lost fellow. And started living with him. And her daddy asked me to go because she wouldn't listen to him. And I went. And then she didn't listen to me either. And then she got pregnant and had a baby. And then later... Uh, got pregnant, had a second baby, and I think it was the second one. I went again, and I sat down and talked to her, and she just said, No, this is my body. I'm going to do with it what I want to. I don't believe what you're saying. And I tried to tell her what the Scripture says. But after the third baby, she was only 21, 21 years old. Her and that unsaved boy went to bed together tonight with a one-month-old baby. And the next morning, he woke up. And the baby woke up, but she didn't wake up. She's buried just right across from where Amanda's grave is. She's 21. Amanda's just 24. She got killed in a car wreck. But that little girl died because of sin. Disobeying God. God said, if you defile your body with sexual immorality... I will destroy your body. 
Isn't that something? Praise the Lord. They all come in. Glory to God. So the fear of the Lord prolongs days. Now what if you don't have any fear of God? Guess what it's going to do? It's going to shorten your life. It's going to shorten your life. Fear of the Lord prolongs days. But the years of the wicked shall be shortened. What do you have to do to be wicked? All you got to do is sin. Can you be a Christian and be wicked? Sure you can. Some of the good Christians, I know some pretty wicked people. Oh, hey. <laughs> Wow, some of you know some of them people too, huh, young lady? Huh? <laughs> well, we're not going to name them, that's for sure. <laughs> well, now that may be true. That may be true, but it is, it is obvious that a lot of people that say they're Christians, we know as Christians, we know they're not Christians because, you know, you can run into people all over the place and you, you know, whenever you run in anywhere, you can stop at the the checkout counter at the grocery store or at some department store or wherever you are, you know, where the guy works on your car or anything. And when you start to pay out, say, or the mechanic comes to work on your car, say, are you a born again Christian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really are? Well, yeah. Where do you go to church? Well, I don't go or I go on Christmas and Easter Hey, they're not really Christians. They just think they are. But they, they think they got a deal. They don't have a clue what the Word of God says. You know, next question is, can you quote me a verse out of the Bible? I can't. Judge not, lest you be judged. <laughs> you ever heard that one before? Well, let me tell you. If you say you're my brother in Christ, God told me to judge you. Did you know that? God clearly told me to judge you. He said, if you're my brother in Christ and you profess, he said, judge him. And said, when you tell him what he's doing wrong, said, if he listens to what you said and he repents, you're going to save him from death. That's something else too, isn't it, Cliff? So, what if he don't listen? There's no fear of God and it's going to, not going to save him from death. And God is going to allow the curse to come upon him prematurely. And the guy or girl, whoever it is, is going to die prematurely. Now, are we glad God's gracious and merciful? For some of us, He's given us years to repent. And some of us, we're so grateful He did that. Because some of us know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if He hadn't been graceful and merciful, we'd have been dead a long time ago. But He had a plan down the road for us. He had a plan. And when we finally begin to see this, we begin to say, Lord... I stand in fear and trembling of the stupid things I did a few years ago because, Lord, you had every right in the world to just reach down with that flask water and crush me any minute you wanted to and you'd have been totally justified in what you did. Because, Lord, if you'd have been, if I'd have been your child, you know, if I'd have been God and you'd have been the child and you'd have did that to me, I'd have swatted you a long time ago. But I'm grateful that you were merciful to me. I mean, Cliff, me and you, he'd have got us a long time ago, boy. Long. A long time. <laughs> Ain't no doubt in your mind, you know that too, right? Woo, but aren't you glad he's merciful? Yes. Yes. And now I then... I almost killed eight times in my life, and I am grateful. You are grateful that he has saved you for a day like this, right? Woo! Thank, it's easy for you to praise God, right, Cliff? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I'm telling you, if God wasn't merciful and graceful, I mean, every, if, we, if He got us the first time we sinned every time, then all of us would be dead. Every one of us. So we're grateful that His mercy endures. But if we will fear Him, He clearly says it will increase our life on this earth. Then He says in Proverbs twenty-eight sixteen. The prince that wanteth understanding is also a great oppressor. But he that hateth covetousness shall prolong his days. Now what if you hate coveting? What if you are a coveter? What if you covet or desire everything everybody else has? It's shorten your life. Who would ever dream that would shorten your life? But it's written in the Word, isn't it? So if you go around saying, I mean, I used to, I mean, I don't know, some of you guys that may have heard some of these stories. I, I used to see people, yeah, Proverbs twenty-eight sixteen. I used to hear people say, man, I wish I had his new car and he had a feather, you know, somewhere. <laughs> Y'all ever heard those old things? Y'all lived in the world just like I did, huh? We wanted what he had, wished he had something, you know, to tickle him to death. You know, isn't that amazing the things that people say? And so here you are coveting this guy's new car and you don't want him to have something better. You want him to be killed. Because that was a statement you made. And it might have been a foolish statement. You might not have really meant that in your heart. But technically speaking, God holds you accountable for those words. Holds you accountable. And he says that if you are one that covets things, it's going to shorten your life. But if you hate coveting, it's going to prolong your days. When you really read this book at face value, it kind of changes the way you do business, doesn't it? 2 Corinthians 13, 1. This is the third time I am coming to you. You know, I understand there's four books to the Corinthians instead of two. I would love to read the other two. I've heard of people that said they have read them. But Paul said this is the third time. But actually we only got 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We don't have the 3 and 4. But I understand. I forget now which it is. We have either 1st and 3rd or 2nd and 4th. And we don't have the other two. But we call them 1st and 2nd. I heard a preacher the other day that's a Ph.D. that studied and taught the Word of God for years. He said the reason that they took the other two out, Paul got so bold and so brash with the Corinthians, they thought he was a little bit far out there. His language was a little bit too tough. So they took it out of the Bible. Well, maybe that's true. I don't know. But Paul says, this is the third time that I'm coming to you. And in the mouths of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Of course, now, there's something right there. Don't ever take anything, if you find it in the Bible one time, can't never find it nowhere else, don't ever take that and build a doctrine around it. If the Lord meant for it to be something permanent to really build a doctrine on, He will make that statement by at least two or three different men or statements. Just like the word sozo, He must have meant for us to really get a hold of sozo because it's only written 120 times in the Greek New Testament. If let everything be concerned out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, and he put it in there 120 times, he must really plan for us to get a hold of it. But most people never heard the word sozo. But that's what it means. Sozo means saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. 
and did it all for you on the cross. It's yours. But I didn't know it for 40 years. But when I got a hold of it, I got healed. And I hadn't been sick since. And you, don't, you have no idea how wonderful it is to not even think about being sick again. Knowing tomorrow when I wake up, I am not going to be sick. And if that devil tries to slip up on me, no, devil, no. You ain't going there. I'm going to do just like Deborah said. Well, I'm going to take that hammer, hit him on the head, knock him right back down in that hole. And then after I drive that wedge in that hole, I'm going to take, I drive him down. I'm going to get, I'm going to get a plug, put in there, drive it down on top of it until I, each hole he pops up in, I'm going to get every hole filled where he can't get back out. In Ephesians chapter six, verse one, Ephesians six one, he makes a statement there to children. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. How long are you a child to your parents? Forever. As long as they live. You are their children. If you're a parent and you're 50 years old and your child is 30 years old and they're doing something wrong, you need to tell them and they need to listen to you. If you can back up what you're saying with the Word of God... As a godly mother and father, your children should obey you. If they do not, they're treading on very thin ice. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2 says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And verse 3, That it may be well with you, and you mayest live long on the earth. Another one of those scriptures that increases or prolongs your days. Who would ever dream that a child that is disobedient to not honor the parents are shortening their life? But you know they are. If you're disobedient to your parents, you may be living a tormented life by demonic spirits that have been sent to you by God. Because demons, they come to you as they're sent by the Lord. He speaks His curse when you disobey. And when He says, Satan, Thurman has messed up down there. I have tried by the Holy Spirit and sent two or three people to get His attention. And He's not paying attention. I am speaking a curse over Him. And you can go down there and sift Him like wheat to this point. Now go down and put some hurt on him. Somebody said, God would not do me like that. You didn't read the Bible. When Saul disobeyed God, it said an evil spirit from the Lord came and tormented Saul. Who's in control of this universe anyway? God or the devil? God is. Absolutely right. I mean, when you come to Him in any kind of sin, is He gracious and merciful and to forgive you? But these exact words are what you just said. Go and sin no more, lest something worse come upon you. And of course, the man he said that to had only been an invalid for 38 years. Yeah, that's what I think. How much worse could it be? I'm telling you, there is a consequence to sin, but we as Christians, just like we're reading, like we don't believe this book. But this book... Every human being on this earth will be judged according to this book. Every one of it. Nobody is excused. I don't care if you believe in God or don't believe in God. 
One day you're going to stand in this presence, be judged. You're going to be judged right out of this book. And you say, but God, I didn't believe in you. He said, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> but here I stand now. It's kind of hard to deny. Here I am. But Lord, I didn't know you were there. He said, oh yeah, I sent Deborah. I sent Cliff. I sent David. I sent Donna. I sent Jeannie. I sent all kinds of people by to tell you that I was God. And you wouldn't believe them. They even prayed for you, and I healed you at times. And you thought, what a coincidence. (laughs) Cheryl came by and laid hands on me, and I got healed. I had a back problem. And she came in and laid hands on me and prayed for me, and I got healed. wonder if that was just a coincidence. She said Jesus was going to do it, but, you know, it must have just been a coincidence. So Cheryl sees you six months later and says, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing good. How's your back? Oh, yeah, that's right. The next day when I woke up, I didn't have your back. But what a coincidence. That was awesome that you prayed for me. Well, did you start going to church? Well, no. You know, no, no. How many people do you think those kind of things happen to? Multitudes of them. So, I mean, we should never miss an opportunity to pray for somebody, right, Cliff? I mean, we, I mean, we pray for a sinner. God can very easily, I mean, just, He can do a miracle on that sinner just as easy as He can a Christian, right? So, I mean, and I love it to see him do these kind of things. I had a man the other night. I was leaving a restaurant. And the guy come up and said, Thurman, I want to thank you. He said, I thought I was getting too old. I was never going to be able to play racquetball again. But he said, I was out here the other night and Cheryl said something to you about me having a back problem. And you came over and you prayed for me. And he said, you know, I've been for a month now. He said, I've been playing racquetball every day. I'm totally healed. He said, thank you, Thurman. I said, don't thank me. It was Jesus that healed you. You know? He said, well, thanks a lot. And I thought, wonder if he's going to church. He walked out so quick, I didn't have time. He's just thanking me for healing him. When I'm saying, but it was Jesus. You need to be serving the King. That's what He healed you for, to let you know He loves you. Isn't that amazing? How God is doing all these wonderful things for people all over the place. And some of them think, oh, well... Next time I see you, Cheryl, she meets somebody and they pray for her. Oh, by the way, my hand got well. You prayed for her. Sure, it was nice. Thank you for praying for me. But does it change their life? So many of them, it does not. That's why you got to sit down and tell them, Hey, it's Jesus I serve. He's the one doing it. He loves you. He wants you to stop living where you're living. And He wants you to stop living with this man out of wedlock. Or He wants you to stop lying. Or wants you to stop stealing at your workplace. He wants you to be holy and come into His kingdom. He'll forgive you for everything you've done. And He'll totally change your life just like He's done mine. But you've got to serve Him. You, know, you can't stay over there where you are. He loves you that much. In Exodus chapter 20 verse 12... He says this in the Ten Commandments. Exodus twenty twelve, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God gives you. Is there any difference between the old and the new on this? Same deal. Old and old covenant and new covenant. Same thing. Children, honor your parents and obey them. Because if you do, it will increase or prolong your life upon the earth. So, if you don't want to live a long time and a good life, just don't honor your mother and father. You know, just walk in and say, say, son, how you doing? Hey, you old fool, how you doing today? 
How's dad today? You old fool, you doing all right? <laughs> Woo, that's kind of scary, isn't it, Cliff? That's a little scary. That's a little scary. Don't do that to your dad on this earth. No, treat him with respect and honor. I guarantee you. The old man. You know, hear lots of young people talk about the old man. You better be careful. You're talking about the priest of your home. And if you don't honor him and love him, you're shortening your life. And you ain't going to have good days. I don't know about you, but I, Rosemary, do we love to have good days, girl? I do too. We know what we got to do to have them, don't we, girl? We got to walk in obedience to the Word of God. Amen. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. Galatians 5, 15. Let's see what happens if we do these things. This is totally out of the love walk. Now, we're talking about the God kind of love and what happens when we walk in the God kind of love. But Galatians 5.15 says, but if, I hate it when he got that but and if right in line with each other. But if you bite and devour one another. Well, now I know Christians would never do anything like that. Would they? Oh, they will. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. That's scary too, isn't it? That ought to make you want to stop talking about each other. Unless you're talking something good. You know, you know, Mother gave me some great advice when I was a young man. She says, son, if you don't have something good to say about someone, just keep your mouth shut. Is that still pretty good advice? I think it's excellent advice. You know, so in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, this is a verse that I've heard quoted thousands of times. I've quoted it lots of times myself, but the more I quote it, the more it becomes a reality to me. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man or a woman soweth, that shall he also reap. Now then, if you go out and sow love, what are you going to reap? Love. What if you go out and sow perversion? Perversion's coming back to you. You know, what if you go out and sow anything that's far as sin is concerned? What's it going to do? It's going to come back to you and your family. And it's, it's, I mean, God is not mocked. He knows what you do. He knows the intent of your heart. He knows everything about you. So he says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man or a person, man or woman, soweth, that shall they also reap. If you want love, you're going to have to pass it out. Walk in it. And if you do, it'll come back to you. Then 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24. 
when you, if you really meditate on this verse, this is such a powerful, powerful verse. Who his own self, Jesus, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins. Okay, now stop and just think about that right there. As far as God is concerned, if His own Son, if He bear our sins in His own body on the tree, and we being dead to sin, if we meet that criteria, how often are we going to sin? Never. Because you're dead. Then how in the world does a Christian sin? Can we resurrect this beast? We can, can't we? I mean, if we could, if we could keep this beast that we live in down and keep it dead and let Christ live through us, there's no limitations to what the Lord could do through us on this earth. No limitations. But when the devil, he comes by and he begins to put his hand on your shoulder and talk to you and test you and tempt you and getting you to think something wrong or to speak evil about somebody. And slowly but surely, he is raising you from the dead. And he is restoring to your flesh life so that you can be an accuser of the brethren. There's a man going to ORU, sat down with me the other night and asked me a question. He said, we studied this scripture. And he said, Thurman, I don't understand this. It says, Satan has accused the brethren before God day and night in the book of Revelation. He said, how do you interpret that? How can he do that? I said, well, first of all, you've got to remember that eons ago, Jesus cast Lucifer from heaven to earth. So he's no longer up there. I said, he can't get back up there. He said, well, then how in the world does he accuse the brethren before the throne of grace daily if he can't get there? I said, but who is up there? I said, we are. In the Spirit, we're joint heirs with Christ and we're already seated with him in the third heaven. That's what the Word says. So if we in the spirit world are already seated with Christ in the third heaven, then when we bite and devour one another before the throne of grace, we accuse each other before the throne of grace. And that's the devil speaking out of our mouths. He has access to the throne of grace through us. Just a minute, hold it just a minute. Let me get the mic so everybody hear what you're saying. Okay, now. Well, because I was just like sitting one evening eating and, you know, the Lord was ministering and I'm talking to him. He's talking to me. And then these voices, you know, Satan, I can't remember what he was saying. It's always something stupid. But and the Lord said, that's what he's saying to me right now about you. And, you know, just all during the day, like, have a vision of some kind of something coming to try to destroy you or whatever. God said, that's what he wants to do to you right now if he could. Just hideous things. That's what he wants to do to you right now because he hates you. Anything you hear, 
that's what he's saying to me. Anything you hear that somebody's saying about somebody else, if it's not a legitimate thing to save somebody from danger and it's an accusation, that's what Satan is saying. That's what he wants to do. So he's accusing you before the throne of grace through the believers, through other people. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. And, of course, this man that was sitting and talking to me that night, he said, I never thought about that. I thought it was Satan himself that was up there accusing Cliff or Thurman. But now I realize this. When Thurman talks evil about Cliff, that's how the devil gets right to heaven. And it should never be, should it? Never. Never. That's right. So as Christians, we should never bite and devour one another. That's awesome to think about. We allow the devil to take our tongues and accuse the brethren before the throne of grace. But we do that. Now, how can we stop that? All we got to do is not say anything bad about somebody else. Because when we say it, we are technically already in the throne of grace, according to the book of Ephesians. We're joint heirs with Christ, seated in the heavenlies right now. When we get saved. So when we have a mouth that talks about somebody or tells about somebody, you are standing in the presence of the throne of God accusing your brother, which that's the devil talking out of your mouth. And I can just hear him laughing at God. You thought you cast me out of this place, but I've got pretty good access to it through your people that don't know the difference whom I have deceived. Isn't that something? That the devil has that kind of power. And all we got to do is shut our mouth and say, no, devil, I ain't talking evil about nobody. I'm going to praise and worship you and I'm going to say only good things about my brother. I'm going to say good things. That's where I'm going. I ain't going to accuse them, my brethren. Now, if one of them does something wrong and starts sinning, Lord, I'm going over there and sat down with them and talk to them. I'm going to do my best to try to convince them. What they're doing is wrong, and they need to repent and come back into the throne, into the heaven. Uh, Jerry, you goes, let me get just a minute. What, but I want it on tape. Uh, if, if, you, if we talk and don't have it on the mic, I can't hear it on the tape. Well, I just want to say that uh, this is what, one of the issues in the church nowadays. Because if people find out that you've done something that you shouldn't have done, <clears throat> instead of having compassion for you and forgiving you, they want to condemn you. And if you don't believe that will work, you just open yourself up to something that you've done in the past and you let several people find out about it and you see how much compassion people have for you. <clears throat> and the way I see it is if if the church today, not, not naming any denominations, but just church today, were, if they were Jesus and they met the woman at the well, there wouldn't be any compassion or forgiveness. And what I see is a classification of sin. <clears throat> if you do this, well, that's not too bad. Or if you do that, well, that's not too bad. But if you do certain things, oh, man, you, you are out of here. We cannot have you around here since you have done that. And so <clears throat> the one thing I've learned by listening and sitting under your ministry and teaching 
is having compassion for other people. That, I'm telling you, that speaks loud and clear. And you always <clears throat> said, walk in love. No matter what, walk in love. And so, boy, that speaks loud and clear to me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Walking in love. Something God demands. It's not the easiest thing in the world. The devil will do everything he can to keep us from walking right here where God wants us to walk. He will do everything. I remember A.A. Allen, whenever God told him the things he would have to do if he wanted to walk in his power. He said, God, I will do it. But the last two things on the list took him several years to master. But the day he finally mastered those last two things, that's the day he said, I heard God whisper in my ear, Now, behold, I give unto you power. I give unto you power. And that's, then if you ever had seen, or of course, me being a Baptist, I'd never heard of A.A. Allen. But I finally did get a hold of this guy when I began to step into this world of faith. And A.A. Allen is the man that, that God done one of the greatest miracles I've ever heard recorded. And it happened in 1952 after he had said, Now behold, I give unto you power. And that's the day that the little boy that was four years old that was there that had no eyes, no ears, tongue was hung out his mouth. Little arms were all drawn and knotted up and his legs were all twisted and, and feet were up in his stomach. And the doctor said he couldn't live. When A. Allen saw a vision of that boy being born, standing before 4,000 people. And then he said, there's a woman here that's got a four-year-old boy that's got 26 incurable diseases. He said, where are you, woman? And she stood up back there and he said, are you that woman? She said, I'm that woman. He said, you got that boy? She said, he's sitting right here beside me. She reached out and picked up that little boy in her arms, brought him down there and handed him to A.A. A. Allen. And he held that little boy up before 4,000 people and said, God, in the name of Jesus, do a miracle on this little boy. And instantly, his tongue went back in his mouth. Whirlpools formed on his face and brand new eyes. Ears grew right out. Arms come loose. Legs come loose. And a little boy that had 26 incurable diseases jumped out of A.A. Arm. Alan's arms run off the platform and jumped in the arms of a woman he ain't never seen or heard and says, Mama, now how would you like to be at a meeting and see God do something like that? Boy, that's, but that's just a taste of what He's able to do if we'll just walk in that kind of love. But God didn't stop there that day. There was 13 wheelchair people that was in wheelchairs. He healed all 13 of them instantly. Nobody had to pray for them. There was 15 over here laying on stretchers that were coming in dying with cancer. And He healed all of them instantly. And in the next hour, everybody in that place, blind, deaf, tumors, cancers, garters, everything in that congregation of 4,000 people was totally healed in the next hour without nobody saying a word except just screaming and praising God. How would you like to be in a meeting like that? Most of us ain't never even heard of a meeting like that. But A.A. Allen, he paid the price. He walked in that God kind of love. And he mastered everything. And that is one, and there's men alive today that I know that was in that meeting. That saw it. How would you like to have been there? Oh, glory to God. <clears throat> oh, glory. Lord, 
And the Lord says, I did tell you that I can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can think or imagine according to the power that works in you. Now, how much of my power you got in you? Well, A.A. Allen had a lot of it. But there ain't none of us got that power to that degree because we ain't paid that price. When's the last time you've seen somebody hold up a little baby like that and God move like that and do all them kind of wonderful things? You ever seen that? Well, that power's not in you to get it done or it would happen when you pray. Now, the Holy Spirit's in you. God is in you. But the power that's in you is according to the obedience and the love and the fasting and praying you walk in. If you're not willing to pay that price, there's a little of that power. Maybe you're able to get some of your little prayers answered. Maybe you get a little bit deeper into that and you get a little more of the Word in you and you start walking holy and obedience to God's Word. Maybe it continues to increase where now you get to where you can pray for the sick and they get well. According to the power that worketh in you. Well, let me tell you, that power is not the same in all of us. It's different. I will have to tell you, today, I have a whole lot more of that power than I had 30 years ago. 30 years ago, i never seen God do nothing. But today, I've seen Him do some pretty awesome things. But you know what? I've never seen Him do anything like He did for A.A. Allen. Never. Why? Because the power is not in me. I have not paid that price. That A.A. Allen prayed. Paid. But I'm going to have to. And I know I'm going to have to. And I want to. It's going to come to pass. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23. We had not quite finished. uh, 1 Peter 2.24 Who bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. Since He sees us dead, we, as Christians, should live unto righteousness. And you know what righteousness means? I've learned this from an ORU student lately too. It means doing deeds of loving kindness. That's what righteousness is. Jesus said, go and be righteous. Well, we say, well, okay, Lord, I'm going to be righteous. What does that mean? He says, go out and do some good deeds of loving kindness to your neighbor. And they don't need to know it. No, they don't even have to know it. Do deeds of loving kindness. You know, do, do good things for people. And he said, if you do, then that's part of the criteria. If you're not willing to go out and, and do deeds of loving kindness for others... And walk in my kind of love. He said, forget my power. I'm not going to share it with you. You know. But if you're willing to pay that price, he will share that with you. And then he says, if you're willing to do all those things, if you die to sin and you live unto righteousness, then the last statement is also true too. By my stripes, you're healed. So I don't have to be sick anymore, do you? Then, Deborah, we can, when that person calls, we can say, we have the best benefit package in the world. And it's free. It don't cost nothing. It cost him tremendously. But he gave it to you and me free. All we got to do is receive it by faith. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. All we got to do is believe it by faith and stand on it. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. 1 Corinthians, 20, 1 Corinthians 11, 23. 
For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Now here we take this communion one time a month. Technically speaking, how many times or how often do you think we as Christians should take that? You know, I agree with you. I really think we should. I used to take it every day. But you know how easy it is to change your schedule on something? You know, I would get up and take communion. First thing I do is take communion every morning. And then first thing you know, you know, well, I'm busy today and I missed it, but I'll do it tomorrow. Okay, so maybe I do it tomorrow. And the next day I miss it. And then the next day I miss it. And the next day I miss it. And first thing you know, I say, oh my goodness, it's been a week since I've had communion. Well, then if you're not careful, it gets to where you take it on Sunday here. And oh my goodness, it's time for communion. It's been a month and I haven't had communion. Not one single time. Isn't it amazing how the enemy can do that to us? Sure he can. Real easy. After the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, and as often as ye drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Why do you think he wants us to do this often? To remember him. To remember him. That's what God wants us to do, is to remember Jesus and what he did for us. For as often as you eat this bread and, it, and as often as you drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. <clears throat> we even started that in the ministry center for a while and every one of us are doing it. And now we've got it. We're going to have to get back to that. We're going to have to get back to this. But let a man or a woman examine themselves. And so let him... Eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. He's not discerning the Lord's body. Now, if you don't discern that Jesus, what we, these scriptures we just read here a few minutes ago, that his sin paid the price, or he paid the price for your sins by his blood, and his stripes you were healed. If you get a hold of that, then you realize he bore all that in what he did. You will stop sinning and you will stop being sick. When it becomes a revelation to you that Jesus bore my sin, so I'm not supposed to sin no more. I mean, if he bore my sin and told me I'm dead to sin... Paul clearly says in the book of Romans, if I'm dead to sin, how in can a dead person sin any longer? I'll tell you how you can. You have to resurrect this beast. And it's real easy to resurrect it. You know, instead of letting Christ live through you, you want to live it yourself. And when you want to live it yourself, you're going to sin once in a while. Because the devil's going to work on that thing once you bring it back to life. As long as you leave the beast dead then you can't sin. He can try it, but nothing happens. But if you're not discerning the Lord's body, that he bore 
your sickness and removed your disease on the cross, then you're sinning. You're sinning. And when you sin, that sin will separate you from God. And that sin will allow the devil to come into your life. All because you didn't rightly discern the Lord's body. And he says, and for this cause, what we just said here in verse 30, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and even many die. People die, Christians die because they don't rightly discern the, the body of Christ. What he did for us on the cross. Now what if you... What if you're like I was all those years when I didn't have a clue that Jesus bore my sickness and removed my disease? I was a good Christian. I went to church. I was a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, but I didn't know this. Did I have sickness and disease? Sure. It wasn't uncommon for me to come into a class during the winter, you know, with a stopped up head and a flu. And somebody said, boy, you sound awful today. I said, yeah, I got the flu again. I mean, I'm telling you, I just lived where I knew how to live, Donna. I couldn't go beyond that. I didn't have no faith. I didn't know what Jesus had done for me. And so, the devil's over there having a heyday with me, and I'm confessing right in agreement with that beast, and he's making me sick. Now then, what if he had put something like cancer upon me, and I'd have claimed that? I might have been one of those that slept early. See? But see, I didn't know. I didn't know how to rightly discern the Word of God. So by not knowing how to discern it, not knowing that it meant what it said, that I could, I could do what it said. I was who it said I was. Hey, if he delivered me from the kingdom, if he delivered me out of the kingdom of hell and translated me over into the kingdom of light, should I ever want to go back over here into this slush pit? Absolutely not. I am not going there. You know, I want to stay over here where the king is. Over here where the king is, there's no sickness and no disease. You know, and all, and he says, how do you like this? Whatever you put your hands to, I will prosper it for you. Oh, that's that name it and claim it bunch. Well, that may be the name it and claim it bunch, but Jesus is the one that made the statement. So since he's the one that made the statement, I had a whole lot rather be blessed. Woo, do I love being blessed. In whatever it is. I love being blessed with my sweetheart. I love having her with me. I love being blessed with a place to go home and lay my head down at night to sleep instead of having to sleep out on the street. If you ever slept out, I mean, you know, I've had the privilege a few times to sleep out on, you know, at camps and go fishing and you sleep on a concrete table and it ain't no fun. You know, you know, I'd hate to do that today. I have done that. But, you know. I think about when I go home at night and I pull them covers back and crawl in that beautiful bed. I say, oh, Lord, how wonderful this is to sleep in this beautiful warm bed with all these nice covers on me. And to think i got a thermostat in there on the wall that you pay the bills. I can turn the thermostat up or down to make it comfortable in here. And thank you, Lord, for blessing me. You like to be blessed? Absolutely me too. I like to be able to be blessed. So when somebody comes up to me, and I have this happen to me all the time, you know, the people every once in a while that comes in, and especially during the season we just come through, Thurman, what am I going to do? I just, I, you know, I, I've lost my job or I hadn't worked for the last three weeks and Christmas is coming up and I can't pay my utility bills and all this stuff. I don't know what I'm going to do. Hey, reach in my back pocket, however the Holy Spirit t- touches me and say, here, this is from the Lord. Is it better 
to be able to give and to receive oh a whole lot better. A whole lot better to be able to be blessed. You know, but God made you a promise. If you'll be obedient and do what I tell you to do and walk in my God kind of love and study my word and do what I say. He said, anything you put your hands to in the world, I'll bless it. I will bless it. Wow. Isn't that amazing? You know? I mean, the last, the last week we've been helping my son. Uh, my son is, uh, in fact, uh, it's amazing, you know, when you have children, uh, when you have to help them. Cheryl and I both have to help our children do all kinds of things. They get busy, but I think about Tim, and of course I think how he worked. We worked night and day getting that first gym up and running and getting it going, and it's been very uh, good to him. He serves the Lord. He reads the Bible. He teaches a Bible study class. He's a really fine young man. He walks in love. He does what the Lord says. He's got a fine family now. The Lord has blessed him and his wife and their children. And they got two of their own. You know, and then Caitlin, they're raising her too. And now then, he's just rented another one, a smaller one. <clears throat> and we've been over there this last week, you know, cutting out walls and framing stuff out and doing electric work and everything else. And he's working on a third one and a fourth one. And... <clears throat> You know, whenever he told me the other day, he said, you know, Dad, in 10 years, I want to have 40 gems. I said, praise God. But now then today, he's talking about, he said, you know, I don't think that's enough. I think in 10 years, I need more than 40. I said, wow. Hey, if you're obedient to serve the Lord, do what he says. What did he say I'll do with whatever you put your hands to? I will bless it. You know, that means he'll bring in the money to pay for all your employees. He'll pay for the rent on the building. He'll pay the utility. You don't have to worry. Next month, oh Lord, if you don't show up, what am I going to do? Hey, when you do what God says, you don't have to worry about money. He will send you the money to pay your bills. And he will bless you abundantly. I mean, abundantly. Wow. Praise the King. Wow. But for this cause, in verse 30, because you didn't rightly discern the Lord's body, many, now he's talking about Christians, many Christians are weak and sickly among you, and even many of you sleep or die early. Verse 31 says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. How can you judge yourself if you don't know what the Word says? If you hadn't read the Bible, you don't know how to judge yourself. But if you are reading the Word of God, then the Holy Spirit in you will convict you. And it is all dependent upon how much of the Word you have in you. Did you know the Holy Spirit will not convict you beyond what your knowledge of the Word of God is? If you don't know it's wrong, you know, let me ask you this question. If you're a young person and you've been taught all your life it's okay to steal... You know, so you go to your neighbor's house or your cousin's house and they got something you like, but it's okay. You can steal. You can take that. You're not really, don't even mention the word stealing. If you see something you like, just take it. You walk in a department store, you see something you like, just take it. But you don't put it in your pocket or put it under you so nobody will see you when you leave. If you think that all of your life, then you think that's not stealing. That's not wrong. But one day you get caught and you find out that there's a consequence for stealing. 
Just because you didn't know or hadn't been taught doesn't mean you're going to be held accountable. And people go to jail and everything else because of these things. If we would judge ourselves, how are you going to judge yourself about stealing if you think stealing's okay? But if you've heard stealing is wrong, then you've taken things, you know, you realize, hey, I'm going to judge myself. I'm going to stop this nonsense. I'm not going to steal anything from anybody anymore. Do you think it's possible to go through life and not steal anything? Sure. I had a, a test, a polygraph test, a lie detector test when I went to work for the airlines in New York City several years ago. And the guy asked me that question. Have you ever stole anything? He said, no, you've got to be able, you got to tell me the truth because the machine's going to tell me. I said, no problem. He said, you ever stole anything? I said, yes. He said, what, what have, what is the, the value of what you've ever stole? I said, a dollar and a quarter. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, when I worked for the Chevrolet house when I was a kid, when I was about 18, 19 years old, I changed the oil on my car one night and I put five quarts of Guff Pride 30 weight oil in it and it was 25 cents a quart and I never did pay for that. I was going to, but I forgot. And every time I thought about it, I never did go pay them. So I said, I stole it. He said, you never stole anything worth more than a dollar and a quarter? And I said, no. That's far as I know. That's the only thing I ever stole. That's the only thing I can remember when I took that test. And whenever he asked me a whole multitude of questions, and whenever we got through with the test, he said, everything you told me is exactly true. See, I didn't lie to him nowhere. Do you think God will know the truth someday? Now, if there's other things that I had stole at that time that I didn't remember, he'll remember. If I had tucked something from somebody, God will say, oh yeah, how about this, son, right here? I said, well, Lord, I didn't remember that. But I guarantee that day I took that test, that's the only thing I remembered because it didn't show up on that test that there was anything else I'd ever stole. He said, wow. He said, you're pretty honest. He said, I had a guy in here the other day, I asked him if he'd ever stole anything. He said, yes. I said, what's the value? He said, you know this machine's going to tell the truth. So he said, what's the value of whatever you stole. He said, oh, I made about $10,000. He said, what do you mean? He said, I used to work for a fur company down here in Manhattan. I used to steal furs from them all the time. But he said, I imagine the most, in, the most expensive fur I ever stole was probably about $10,000. How would you like to have a guy like that working for you? <laughs> but see, how many of those kind of guys are there in the world, Cliff? There's a bunch of them. Yeah. But now some of them don't steal $10,000 or some of them just steal a, a few little... You know, little things. You know, like the mechanics at work, you know, they used to, someone say, well, you know, I need a new set of spark plugs for my car. It only takes six. You know, they're only a couple bucks a piece. The company owes me that. It's not stealing. Put them in my pocket and go home with them. And they don't feel like they stole nothing. But they did. You know, they did. They stole that. Yeah, only $12 worth of spark plug, but God adds that up. Hey, he adds that up. So if we judge ourselves, we will quit doing those things. But when we are judged, when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. You know that means the straps got a hold of your backside? Now who knows how he's going to do that. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned 
with the world. He chastens us. He brings us into the reality of what we're supposed to do. And He chastens us. And who knows how He's going to do that. But I can assure you, you won't enjoy it. When the Lord chastens you, you will not enjoy it. Now then, before we quit tonight, let me ask you this final question. I'm grateful to God that He's merciful for all He does. But do you think there is a time when God's mercy runs out? Do you think there is a sin unto death? The Word of God says there is, isn't there? So how do we know when we send the sin unto death? When we die. That's the only way we know is if we die in our sin. But he says there is a sin not unto death. And aren't we glad? But so if we sin the sin unto death, that means we're going to die. So the secret for Christians is don't sin. When you walk holy and obedient to God's word... When you have a fear of the king, knowing he's watching you every day, and you walk in the God kind of love, knowing that God is watching you do everything you do, everything you do, everywhere you go, every act you perform, he's there with you watching you. If you're comfortable at what you're doing right now, knowing God is here and here watching you, then you're okay. When you go home tonight and walk into your kitchen all by yourself and you're standing there fussing about something or someone talking out loud to yourself, realize Jesus is standing right beside you listening to every word you're saying about whoever you're saying it to. So we wonder why we're sick and afflicted. You can't get away from the king. He's always there with you. And when it becomes a reality... And this is where the devil gets to us. You know, when something happens and he attacks our mind and we start to go there in a world of sin, we forget that God's standing there watching us. Because if we will stop and think, now the Lord's watching me. I can't even used to you do something and you're going to hurt your little sister. She's just done something to you and you're fixing to hurt her. And all of a sudden daddy walks in the door. Oh, you were fixing to hurt. Oh, what are you doing, son? Oh, I was just, I was just kind of dusting off sis a little. <laughs> Cliff, you ever been there, done that? Been there, been done that. You know, when Daddy walks in, it's a different story. If Daddy's not there and your brother just punched you out, man, you're right in there punching him right in the teeth, right? As fast as possible. <laughs> as fast as possible. So you know what I mean, right? But when Daddy walks in, it's a whole new ball game. Let's remember, daddy's never leaves. And when we do that, that'll, that'll straighten you and me up, won't it, Cliff? That's right. It'll have a tendency to straighten us up. So remember, this week, everywhere we go, everything you say, try to remember that God is there with you. And he's watching you. And if he has to judge you, he will chasten you. And you will not like the outcome, I can assure you. So walk holy before him, and you don't have to sweat it. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. <clears throat> Father, we do not understand, but we think we do understand why there's been no rain on this earth. But you, I, I, I feel it's a judgment, but Lord, we are so far behind and we so need rain. And Lord, you said if your church would repent and turn from our wicked ways, then you would come and heal our land. 
Lord, we want to be those that repent and turn from our wicked ways and walk holy in your presence. And we ask you, Father, please to be merciful to us and send forth a beautiful rain all across this entire metroplex area and everywhere on 100 to 200 miles north, south, east, and west of this place is dry, 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 Lord. And we definitely need rain. Homes are being burned. Lands are being burned. All kinds of things are happening because everything is so dry, Lord, even the dirt seems to burn. Lord, there's no moisture. And we know you know this. But you told us as your church to come and ask you and, and plead with you, Lord. Lord, we, we ask you to, in faith, please, Lord, to send rain. Lord, to forgive our sins and to forgive these people's sins. And Lord, but we know you know what you're doing, Lord. We know you're going to take care of us, your children, that are obedient, even if there is no rain. But Lord, we thank you for taking care of us. But Lord, we do need that rain. And Lord, we praise you and thank you. And we know you're God. We know you hear this prayer right now. But Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you because you're our God and our Lord. And we want to repent of every sin. And we want to walk in your divine God kind of love. So that where we walk, we will be an example of you every day as we love the brethren. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for this beautiful day. Bless us as we go forth this week. And use us for your glory to bless others. In Jesus' name, amen.